I wanted to start off saying that in my opinion, I think most American Christians are mistaken about a biblical issue that's very important. Most American Christians, I think, are mistaken about an important biblical issue. Now certainly there are other believers in other countries who also are mistaken about this biblical issue. And I would say this, there are some countries where Christians intuitively get it right. But as Americans, I think we intuitively get it wrong. I mean, our natural tendency is to see this issue only half right. And it makes a big difference. So let me give you an example. Recently, I was talking to a mom. Uh, she's, I don't know, middle-aged. She's got four kids. They're young adults now. They're all doing well. They're, you know, studying hard and, and uh, getting jobs and all those things. But there's one in particular whose faith is just awesome, you know. So this mom is telling me, yeah, you know, of course, we love all our kids. But she was saying, yeah, this one daughter, when it comes to faith, it's like she's the mother and I'm the kid. She is so far ahead of me. Now I want to stop and think, all right, same family, attending the same church, uh, doing the same things, but, but a kid who's 20 is like twice as far ahead as the mom who's 50. How does this happen? Well, I think it's because in the United States, we typically get something wrong that makes a difference. And what is this issue? Well, I would say it's the second most important decision you'll ever make. The second most important decision you'll ever make. And I think the best way of going about explaining this is, well, every week we take the Bible, open it up, and read a passage. I want you to turn to a place and to a time and to a country where these people intuitively get this issue straight. I mean, once they heard it explained, they just got the whole amount of it, not just part of it. And I'm talking about the early church in Acts chapter 2. I'm talking about uh, opening up your Bible right now to a passage. We, we often read bits and pieces of this. This is a, a verse in Acts chapter 2. By the way, that's page 1692. Uh, this is one of those verses that we just read over and go, oh yeah, that's there. But we haven't stopped to look at what's there and what's often missing here in the United States and, and a number of other places too. All right, so let's just do the Bible reading now. <clears throat> and then let me identify the verse. And let's tackle the second most important decision you'll ever make. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to pick up the story in verse 22. 
Now, that means <clears throat> Jesus, of course, has already worked with his disciples, lived with his disciples for three years. He's taught them. They walked around with him. He's, he's assigned them the role of being his apostles, those closest 12 or 11 at this time. He, um, he already died on the cross and rose from the dead and had a few more weeks with them. And, and now he's gone and they're passing on the message. And this is the first time, Acts chapter 2, the first time that the full gospel message about Jesus can be told. And we jump in at verse 22, where Peter says to the, a crowd of people listening, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God has raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said about him, and now he quotes a verse from the Psalms that David wrote, uh, explaining that he really is the Messiah, and they get it. I jump down to verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised, promised him on oath that he, God, would place one of his descendants on his throne. That is the throne of David. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David David did not ascend to heaven, but yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36. <clears throat> Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the, uh, the apostles, well, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, we often quote this verse, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who call whom the Lord for all whom the Lord our God will call. <clears throat> and with many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That actually sounds rather contemporary. We could say that today. Save yourselves from what's going on in our world now. 
And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And uh, now, here's why I think they got it. They got the, the whole message and started implementing it. Because look, look what happened immediately. Not 20 years later or 50 years later. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, I read that verse. We kind of skipped over it. That verse that talks about the second most important decision you'll ever make. Uh, and that brings up the issue that we so often get wrong. And so right at the top of your outline, let me just say what it is. All right. At the top of your outline, you have this. And as I explain it, I'll, I'll tell you why I think this and the difference it makes. I'll give you some examples. But that's why I say five reasons. Five reasons why you should know Jesus as your Lord. Five reasons why you should know Jesus as your Lord. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. I'm taking this from verse 36 of chapter 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus your Savior, but that's all. No. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Well, he's the Messiah and he's the Christ, but not anything else. No. Get the first word right. God has made him both Lord and Messiah. Messiah, Christ, Savior. Yeah, he's the guy who came down to rescue us from the mess we're in. But he did not come just to rescue. He came also to rule. That's the other piece that's so often missing. There's a lot of people who say, and, and a lot of Christians say, oh, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Savior. But the Bible says he's not just the Savior. He's Lord and Messiah. And this makes a big difference. Five reasons why you should know Jesus as Lord, not just Savior. And here's the first one. Because, well, let me put it this way. Accepting Jesus as your Savior is the key to your life after death. Yes, of course. In fact, I would say, we would say, that's the most important decision you'll ever make while you're here on earth. Now, this life you live on earth, however long it may be, uh, well, what if we stretched out your life and saw it from beginning to end, like, like I have this little white rope here. Let's just say this is your life. You were born, and someday you'll pass on. 
We don't know how long that time is for my father. He died when he was 77. My grandfather died when he was 101. If you could make your choice, you might want the longer the better. But the point is, whatever the length of your days, they, it is a certain length. There's a time when you were born and there will be a time when you pass on. But during this length of rope, you have the opportunity to accept Christ as your savior. So that when you die, you're not standing with your guilt and sin before a holy God. Instead, if during this time on this line, you accept Christ as your savior, that means when you come to the end of this rope, then you will stand not in your guilt, but in grace because you accepted Christ as your savior. And that is so important because, well, imagine we tied a knot to a, another rope here, maybe a different color, a yellow rope, and we, we begin to stretch that out. Now, how long will eternity be compared to your life? Well, this room isn't long enough to hold that line. Uh, we could, this county isn't long, uh, long enough to contain eternity. If we could stretch that rope all to the way to the top of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, well, that would be getting closer if we hooked it up to the North Pole. Is there a pole there? Well, you, if, if we just extended it as far as we can imagine, that length of eternity would still be inadequate. It's so important that during your life, you come to realize, I'm separated from God. I've done things that are wrong. He's holy. And he has provided the grace through his son, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, to be your savior. But that's not all he wants to be. That's the most important decision you'll ever make. But accepting Jesus as your savior is the key to your life after death. But accepting Jesus as your Lord is the key to your life now. How it influences what you do while you're here on earth. It's making that lordship decision that says, I'm not just going to live life on my own. I want him to be my Lord, to lead me, to rule me, not just to rescue me from my sin, but to rule my life here while I'm on earth. Now, I grew up in the 60s, and so uh, during the, I was a teenager during the big Jesus movement. And some of the music that I heard then just really got a hold of my heart. There was one particular song, it was by Love Song, and Chuck Gerard, I believe, was the one who came up with the lyrics. And it's a metaphor. So just to help me explain what I'm saying, I'm gonna go back to a metaphor, because this is when I first started thinking about it. I didn't start doing it then, but I started thinking about what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. Anyway, the lyrics to this song go, it, it talks about driving your life. And since I was a teenager and had my driver's license, I liked being able to get in the car and go wherever I wanted to go. So this song goes, 
I was running from my master. I tried every new thing I could find, but my life turned into a disaster. Without the Lord, I almost blew my mind. All right, like I said, this was the 60s. Then the verse starts this metaphor. He said, but now I'm riding in the back seat and I'm finding it is a really great relief. Now I'm in the back seat and I'm leaving the driving to the chief. Without the Lord, my life was a disaster. But once I let go of the steering wheel and let him drive my life, who's driving your life? Who's making the decisions? Should I turn here? Should I go there? Should I speed up or slow down? Who has the control of your life? That's the lordship issue. Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. We need him also to be our Lord. That's what makes the difference in how fast and far your faith will grow. Number two, second reason why you should know Jesus as your Lord. Now, don't get me wrong here, but I want to say with only a savior, All right, let's just take half of the equation. Yes, I want Jesus to be my savior. I know I'm a sinner. I want forgiveness. I don't, I I want to go to heaven someday. But with only a savior, we tend to make the same mistakes. Now, the savior is the one who rescues you from a problem. We've seen a lot of problems recently, fires, floods, mud, Mud avalanches, you know. We've seen helicopters come in and, and rescue with their little rope going down, bringing, bringing up this person who's in a mess. Yeah, yes, of course, that's what sin does. But with only a savior, we tend to make the same mistakes over and over. So getting you out of the mess doesn't keep you out of the mess. And, and so the person who's rescued from a flood, they say, oh, thank you. Thank you for rescuing me. Maybe they send a rescuer a Christmas card next year. But, but what further obligation is there? You see, uh, you can rescue a person once, but if they don't change, if the next uh, warning comes, you need to evacuate. And you say, oh, I think I'll just stay here. You're going to have to be rescued again. And morally and ethically and the way we live our life, we tend to do this. Like the guy who said to his friend, hey, 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 you remember, uh, remember a while back when I was really messed up and hurting and, and you helped me out and you gave me $500 and I said, I will never forget this. Well, of course I remember that. Yeah, I remember. Well, um, I need another $500. I hope that's not what you mean when you say, I'll never forget this. Oh, Jesus, thank you for being my savior. Yeah, I need you again. I need you again. I need you again. I'm not changing my life. I'm just going to keep doing the things that you need to rescue me from. See, that's not what we're talking about. I'm watching the Olympics. Do you like the ice skating? Um, I've only been ice skating a few times. Can you imagine yourself going out on a pond that said, danger, thin ice. 
which would be a pretty stupid thing to do, but people do it. And, and you crash through the ice, and you, you're a goner, but someone rescues you, okay? A, a savior, great. But that's different. Having a savior is different than having an Olympic coach. Because <laughs> the savior gets you out of the problem, but then you say, thank you very much, goodbye, I'm on my own now. But if you want to be an Olympic skater, you need an Olympic coach. Not just someone to rescue, but someone to rule you. You're going to be at practice at six o'clock tomorrow morning and practice for 10 hours. You're gonna eat this kind of food. You're not gonna eat that kind of food. You're going to do these exercises. If you want to be an Olympic skater, I can get you there. But you have to do what I say. That's the difference between just having a savior and having a Lord. You don't just need to be rescued. You need to be ruled with a new, with a new heart to become someone you want to be. Let's put the next one up on the board. Number three, you need Jesus as your Lord because he knows better than you do how to make your life fulfilling and meaningful. <clears throat> now we all want to live a fulfilling life and a meaningful life. And some people do a pretty good job of that. But who knows your life best? Who can make sure that you fulfill God's highest calling for your life? Well, it's the Father himself. That's why you need a Lord. See, having a savior means you're in the family. But God doesn't just want you in the family. He wants you in the family business. He wants, the Father wants you to be about his business because he's designed you, he's gifted you. He has good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. Now, I'm not saying that means he wants you to drop everything and become a pastor or a missionary. I'm not saying that. Although, if he calls you to be a pastor or a missionary, that's what you need to do. I'm just saying, he knows best. He knows better than you do what's going to totally fulfill your life. Um, actually, uh, Linda remembers a youth pastor who was very influential on her. Just to make a point here, I'm not saying go out and become a youth pastor. This fellow was a youth pastor, but he changed his career because Jesus was his Lord and became a middle school teacher. Linda asked him, why would you do that? Why, why would you stop being a pastor and become a middle school teacher? He said, well, why would I just want to influence kids maybe one hour or two hours a week when I can influence them every day? So to him, that was his calling. Do you see the difference? I'm not saying you need to be a more religious person. I'm saying you need to have Jesus as your Lord and he will guide you to whatever he wants you to be. I was listening to the radio the other day and the pastor said, told an example <coughs> of so-and-so, so-and-so who was a doctor, but God got a hold of him and now he quit being a doctor and he's a pastor. And I go, really? Okay, well, if God wants him to do that, that's fine. But God wants you to be who you are. And if that means being a doctor, or a teacher, or a construction worker, or an entrepreneur, or whatever it is, 
He knows what will most fulfill your life. I knew what I wanted to do. Well, one of two things. It was either be a professor or be a counselor. In fact, that's why I went to Hope International University and then Fuller Seminary, because that would help me either be a good professor or a good counselor. Actually, it was one of my professors at Hope who said, you know, Evan, if you're a pastor, pastors do a lot of teaching and a lot of counseling. Whoa, no, 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 I didn't. I mean, I love the church, but I don't want to be a pastor. But it was later that God really got a hold of me. And part of it was I had a chance to teach a college course. And it wasn't really what I was cut out to be. But then God made it clear, no, it's in the church. You need to be a pastor. So if that's your calling, that's what you need to do. But pay attention to how he leads and guides you. Because he knows best. And that's why you need Jesus, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord. Got it? Number four, because he knows how to use your setbacks, and they will come. I'm not saying, oh, make Jesus your Lord and everything will be great. No, it won't. It's not going to be great if he's your Lord or he's not your Lord. Because life happens. You hit roadblocks. You have setbacks. You get bad financial news. Your career gets a whiplash change. Your medical report's not what you wanted it to be. There are setbacks. They are going to happen no matter what. But he knows how to use your setbacks as setups because he's the master plan. And he has a master, he's the master planner, and he has a master plan for your life. And he knows there are going to be setbacks coming your way, but he knows how to use them to get you where he wants you to be. Moses had his time in the wilderness. Joseph had his setback in prison. David faced his Goliath. But actually, when you think of it, these setbacks were the very things that got them exactly where God wanted them to be. Now, do you believe that's true of you? I mean, obviously you know I have some problems, but God wants to turn your problems into advancing you to his fulfilling his plan for your life. But that happens when you say, I will let you take the steering wheel. And I'm not just calling the shots on my own. So, Where are you in the family business? See, it makes a difference. This is why a 20-year-old can be in faith much further along, twice as far as her mother, who's been going to church all these years. But the 20-year-old has figured it out. It's not just having your sins forgiven and know you're going to heaven. It's having the Lord who's guiding your steps. And besides, there's a fifth reason. Why should you have Jesus as your Lord? Well, he's more than just a savior. He doesn't want you making the same mistakes over and over. He wants your life to be fulfilling and meaningful. He knows how to get you there, even through the setbacks. In fact, he'll use those. But number five, 
It's because he is Lord. He just is. And someday, the Bible tells us, when this old world is wrapped up, someday every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of the Father. But at that time, it'll be mandatory. Now, you can choose. At that time, it'll be too late, if you haven't already, to accept Jesus as your Savior. He will be your Lord, because he will rule all heaven and earth. But now, during this time of your life, you can choose him. And why don't you do it the biblical way? Choose him as both. By the way, did you notice my title had an asterisk to it? There's a footnote to this. I'm, I'm talking about the second most important decision you'll ever make. But really, that's not a very good title. So I had to, just to clarify this theologically, I had to put an asterisk there. Yeah, for many people, it's the second most important decision they'll ever make. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the second most important decision you make because in the Bible, the Bible presents it as all one decision. Hear, O Israelites, this man Jesus, God has made both Lord and Savior. What should we do? Accept him, not just as Savior, but also as the one who will guide and rule and lead your life. And he'll show you how that works through your prayers, through your reading, through your friends, through counsel, through his Holy Spirit. He will show you, but first you have to decide, I will do what you call me to do. I want your plan more than I want my plan. I want you as my Lord. Now, I'm assuming that we probably have three different options, three different types of people here. Some people, I know you've already figured this out, probably the hard way like I did, that you've got to try it on your own. I mean, you, you, already, you already have come to Christ, you have him as your savior, but you're not really letting him have your life. Or, but some of you have done that, and you're really, this is the way to go. Other people, maybe you're kind of halfway there. Well, yeah, I love Jesus. Yes, I, he's my savior. Well, but what does Lord mean? Lord means he wants to rule your life. And then maybe there's some here who haven't made either decision. Why not do it the biblical way and make them together? That what you really need, it's not just a savior for eternity, but a Lord to guide today and tomorrow. Why not make that decision? Because he is Lord. But he wants you to accept him and know him as your Lord. And I'm praying for you right now. Heavenly Father, well, we all need this. Lord, we need your help. Actually, I say Lord, but how many times do we say Lord and we really just mean, yeah, could you give me another 500 bucks because I'm stuck again? But instead, we say, Lord, with all that it means, you want the control of my life. You deserve the control of my life. I mean, I want to be happy and joyful. 
But be what better way than to align myself with the God who made me and the Savior who rescued me and the Spirit who wants to guide me. So Lord, as a congregation, wherever we are in this issue, I pray that as we take this cup and this bread, the symbols that Jesus used on that night when he was betrayed before he went to the cross, and he told us, do this to remember who I am. And so, Lord, we take this bread and cup and say, you are my Savior and Lord. Lead me, and I'll follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's be like that early church we read about, who when they hear a message and they get it, then they put it into practice. And that can mean any number of things, like signing up to help Pastor JP and Stephanie move in. Uh, and it means, maybe it means talking to your small group leader or one of the elders, I'd be glad to help you take those steps of making Jesus Savior and Lord. You know, our kids are going to be driving down the mountain, and Lord bless them on their way down, but we want them to grow in their faith. But we don't ever want to stop growing. Lord, may we look to you to guide us to live the most meaningful and fulfilling life we can with you as our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you.